We've all heard your genetics can affect belly fat and weight loss, but what does genetics have to do with overeating? In this episode, Dr. Cashew talks about the genetics of overeating and how to know if you have a genetic overeating handicap and what it might imply. The good doctor also discusses the implications of genetic predispositions to fatness and overeating separate from genetic predispositions to other conditions related to overfatness. Roll the intro! Welcome to ah, Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. Today's lesson is a follow-up. Is a follow-up to babies suck at sports. Just as Dr. Cashy sucks at putting the microphone in front of his face. Okay? As y'all take a closer look at heritable and genetic predispositions to overeating and fatness, you learn somewhat, you learned a somewhat silly but relevant idea that that uh, independent of so-called genetic predispositions to overeating and, and thus being a born overeater, being a born overeater is a technical absurdity because babies are born almost too handicapped to swallow, let alone having the neurological foundations to eat. <laughs> this confusion has to do with, among many other things, uh, the lackadaisical use of words like eating. If babies have the neurological foundations to eat properly, then they'd also have the neurological foundations to play sports. Uh, eating is that complicated. <laughs> but it's obvious babies absolutely suck at sports. They suck. They're the worst athletes ever. So it's time to take a slightly more serious look at, at the heritability of overeating and fatness. That reminds me. That reminds me. Throw down it. Hashtag bogus. A hashtag bogus. If you think the news takes basic information that might be useful, but makes it fear-mongering and uses headlines to incite worry and hostility in people. After this lesson, you'll see the practical implications of such headlines. But first, here's what you are learning. A primer on the, le the, the legitimate implications of genetic predispositions to fatness and overeating, separate from the genetic predispositions to diseases associated with obesity. Way different, okay? They are frequently conflated, though. Uh, real cases of neurological bugginess causing what appears to be legitimately automatic overeating. Looked real hard for this because this is something that personally I have a bias against and I did find something, so I'm going to present it. So I think that's cool. I like being wrong. <laughs> that's how you learn stuff. Okay. And then three, how to know if you are genetically handicapped in a practical way right now and what irrational, constructive, practical implications are for you. What those implications are, what it implies, all right? So a little bit of background here. Are you a born overeater? Technically speaking, no, okay? Does that mean you can still have genetic predispositions to overeat or be fat? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, this lesson covers the practical implications of that, okay? fun drink too. Okay. One, here are the two, the two implications, okay, of genetic predispositions to things like this. One, that there is a genetic intelligence deficit and or an executive functioning deficit. That's essentially being able to plan and having impulse control and emotion control, things like that. So, right, there's a deficit, you have a deficiency in intelligence and or executive functioning. Two, there is a genetic, anatomical, and or physiological and biochemical pathology. Okay, so we'll discuss those right now. One, again, there is a genetic intelligence, like there's an intelligence deficit, effectively. Central stuff. 
with tangential, so semi-related and directly related deficiencies in observing and absorbing information, interpreting and evaluating information, problem solving, decision making, and impulse control. Does a problem with any of these areas imply a predisposition to overeating? Sure, surely. <laughs> uh, does it imply predispositions to all sorts of other problems where overeating might be lower on your list of concerns or other people's concerns? Yes, yes. Common concerns would be pathological obsessive compulsions to the point of complete societal exclusion, <laughs> overdose and or suicide, lifelong dependence on caregivers because of stunted intelligence, extreme violence against self and others of all types, and obviously chronic and or lifelong incarceration. These are the issues associated with having a deficiency in observing and absorbing information, interpreting and evaluating information, problem solving, decision making, and impulse control. That's what that means. Are the chances you're going to overeat high? Yeah. Are the chances you're going to do all this other stuff high too? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Number two, there's a genetic, anatomical, physiological, and or biochemical pathology uh, with tangential, uh, s slightly related to or, or um, partially related to and direct deficiencies in the nervous system, the gastrointestinal system, the endocrine system, the reproductive system, the hepatobiliary system. If there's a system, it could be goofed. <laughs> Does a problem with any of these areas imply a predisposition to overeating? Yes, if you know where and how to look, it does. However, like the deficits in intelligence, uh, if you had problems here, would eating a few too many cookies to be skinnier and being frustrated about it be lower on your list of priorities or other people's priorities? Yes, because common concerns here are things like sterility, bone loss, steatosis, cancer. <laughs> quite, like, quite obvious things, wrong things that are happening really early on in life. Organ failure even as a child, okay? You know, the usual things people think of when people complain about the genetics of overeating and fatness. <laughs> so as an aside, I want to bring up the, the single obvious thing that actually I have found that implies actually completely like automatic, like legitimate automatic eating. Okay, so this is something I did want to bring up because it's pretty cool. And this is a very subs, like very special subsection of uh, parasomniacs, right? These are people that do weird things when they sleep. All right. Now, a lot of people claim amnesiac midnight binges. Okay. People that eat maybe some strange combinations of foods uh, while they're sleeping, but they still eat food and they mostly and conveniently disappear their high calorie and or tasty treats. Convenient, right? Uh, partial consciousness at the very least is realistic here. Okay. Otherwise, it's possible that they were fully conscious and maybe they legitimately forgot. Who knows, right? The sort of parasomnia we're going to bring up now is a little bit different, though. This is where a person, for whatever strange neurological reason, they do sleepwalk. And when they wake up and they get up, they immediately start chewing while sleeping with, with an empty mouth. And then they compulsively eat. But they eat just about anything. And this is the difference in terms of the weird automatic people think they automatically eat. This is automatic eating. Okay. This is where you can ostensibly, you can debate ostensible consciousness. These people, they start eating glue. They start eating wood. They start eating rotted trash. They start eating their cigarettes, sometimes with hot sauce and utensils, but they are still eating things like that. In other words, they are just eating stuff. 
and that stuff might be food. And I think that is a that legitimately it's a legitimate argument for ostensible consciousness and therefore the automaticity of what's happening. That's automatic eating. <laughs> okay. There are also distinct genetic conditions such as mutations in the leptin machinery, which again basically sever some communications between the brain, the GI tract, the bloodstream, and adipose tissue. This means that if you have some sort of genetic oopsie, uh, the signal that you've had enough food is more than poorly calibrated, it's gone. And if it's gone, you know, and your organs know, and everybody knows at a very, very young age, <laughs> okay? How do you know if you have something like this? Well, aside from freakishly morbid obesity, diabetes, you know, pancreatic failure, fatty liver, cardiovascular disease, as, as, as a not-so-small child, as it were, there's all manner of organ decline and even failure essentially before puberty, if you even reach puberty, if you go through puberty, if you get to the age, okay? This is so-called monogenic obesity, an obviously broken genetic code important for human function. There are like eight or so monogenic conditions the last time I dove into that genetics pool, each of them obviously pathological when they present. Mix in the epigenetics crowd, the people essentially, the colloquial or lay epigenetics crowd as it were, essentially pointing their fingers at gene environment interactions, whereby target genes express in the, in the wrong amounts, where the gene dosage is off, or in the wrong order, or too short or too long, or whatever the case may be, uh, when they're coded otherwise correctly, like if you sequence the DNA, the DNA would, would say the right stuff. It's just used improperly or wrongly or incorrectly in, in the context of at least what people think it should be used in. Uh, that makes it messier if you let it. Okay, that makes it messier if you let it be messier. This essentially aligns with syndromic obesity, which manifests, again, the colloquial strongman of, well, what if there are like 10,000 different genes that were kind of sort of maybe a little off and they interacted with the environment and your parents and, and the Saturday morning cartoons you watched and it all added up to overeating as an adult? Well, honestly, that just sounds like every human in any condition ever. <laughs> yeah, you all add up to the things you're doing now. That's a, that is true. Absolutely. Does it help you? No. And what are the practical implications of that? You'll know in a minute, okay? What it really comes down to is, okay, never mind. It's a convenient and plausible argument. That's the point. Although it's about as useful as a knitted condom, especially in terms of genetically orienting diagnoses, let alone fixing it. It's just like saying, well, it was genetics. Thanks. Thanks, right? At this stage of the race, at best, it's mental masturbation. It's mental masturbation for the people that are elitist and arrogant about genetics and a cognitive behavioral toxin for people that are self-conscious about their genetics. Whatever they think genetics means. Again, this is even confusing. Like there's even confusion about what the term means uh, when you have this conversation with the general public. There's just, there are people that are arrogant uh, and elitist and then there are people that are self-conscious when you bring up the topic. That's really it. That is the practical implication in the context of something like that. Because the only logical result is that it fosters envy, jealousy, anxiety, depression, hostility in people that can make their lives and their bodies much better. However, when they become envious, jealous, anxious, depressed, and hostile, what are the chances they're going to overeat? Whoosh! Way higher! Imagine that! Okay? and that they have a legitimate chance to make their lives and their bodies much better with a rational and constructive approach to eating, rather than allowing the stupid news media and fat apologists to rob them of their genuine capacity to change their minds and their bodies for the better. This sort of argument they have 
only really serves two purposes. Purpose number one, buy my magical garbage products that fix your DNA or are tailored to your DNA. <laughs> or number two, that you are a genetically inferior subhuman, too weak and too broken to do things normal humans can do and look the way pretty humans look. So you're going to fail anyway. Why bother trying? And or you were always meant to be a trollish, weak-willed, and fat. So just accept it and move on with your genetically inferior and miserable life. Super useful advice. About as reasonable as a cardboard frying pan. Jeez. If your genetics are a legitimately major influence on your situation and your ability to make decisions, then these are the implications. You are too physically handicapped to take care of yourself. You are too intellectually handicapped to take care of yourself. Your organs are literally failing or have failed. You're probably dead or have spent a lifetime or are spending a lifetime in jail. You have overdosed, committed suicide, or about to overdose or about to commit suicide. That, those are the implications of your genetics having a, like, a major influence. And the suicide part is questionable, okay? If it is a minor influence on your situation, then the reality is that your life is just more annoying than you want it to be. And definitely more annoying than you think it is for other people, which, is, which makes it even more annoying, which makes you frustrated at your frustration. And that's what ends up causing a lot of the other disturbances that get the SRO cycle rolling, okay? So you're either too genetically handicapped intellectually to make reasonable decisions for yourself, in which case the frustrations in your life would definitely be different than they are now, which means that if you are capable enough, and if you're going through this lesson, then you definitely are, intellectually, you have the capacity to choose. Although the urges you have might vary, you still, you're still at the head of the Fortune 500 company, Big Brain Incorporated. You are the CEO, <laughs> okay? Or you are too genetically handicapped to have fully functioning physiology, wherein even, even with a so-called perfect diet, your organ systems would still decline and ultimately fail. And the biochemical error is being pretty serious. Any, any fatness that you have is really just subconscious salt on a much larger wound, uh, in which case the frustrations of your life would definitely be different than you are now if your organs are failing, all right? If you are neither of those things, which if you made it this far into the lesson, that's a safe conclusion to make, then, then in the next lesson you'll learn just what the heck you can do about it, beyond the implications of what it means, but what you can actually do about it philosophically and practically, especially in the context of implementing the SRO model. Okay? So here's what you've learned. Some real causes of the neurological bugginess causing what appears to be legitimate automatic overeating, which is super neat. <laughs> a primer on the legitimate implications of genetic predispositions to fatness and overeating, separate from genetic predispositions to diseases associated with obesity, which are frequently conflated. They are different from each other, even though they are tangentially related. And uh, what, a rational, what the rational and constructive implications are for this genetic stuff for you. And then in the next lesson, we'll go over... Uh, some practical stuff to do rather than the practical implications, right? So throw down a hashtag bogus. If this lesson resonated with you and that the news and other public opinions on genetics and predispositions to things like fatness and overeating, they're really just trying to rile people up and do more harm than anything else. Thanks for completing this lesson. You are awesome. Until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week.
Dr. Kashi is out. <laughs>